we've been in a conversation, a series uh, titled Chainbreaker. I finish it today. I'll be sharing one message uh, this morning and a different final message tonight. If you feel like coming and double dipping, and there will still be uh, traditional food available after the service at both the morning and the evening. Um, I've been a Christian uh, a, a decent amount of time now, uh, definitely sort of longer than I wasn't a Christian. You get to that wonderful stage in life when you've been saved longer than you were unsaved. But during the journey of being in the faith, I have seen the most extraordinary beauty of the church and of Christianity and of faith. I've also seen the crazy side of faith. And today I want to touch on the crazy a little bit and I'll explain why. Look how anxious you've suddenly become. When I first got into ministry, church work, um, there was some hot debates going on amongst the saints about what was acceptable and not acceptable. Some of you may remember uh, them. One of the uh, issues that came up was how red is lipstick when it is too red to suggest you're a Jezebel. <laughs> now I know that that might shock you, but there were whole conversations about that's just too red. No saint will wear lipstick that red. There were leadership meetings discussing that. If you don't believe me, then you can be grateful that you were born a generation after that. Equally, there was conversation about women's hair and whether it was long enough and men's hair if it was too long. One does sometimes wonder if we'd got that right, we wouldn't be in the trouble we're in nowadays. But there was big debate about this. And then I grew up in a movement where alcohol was not allowed. Any kind of alcohol, even in your food. So the saints used to phone their unsaved friends and say, do me a favor, can you go past Tops? <laughs> I'm making oxtail stew. It's got to have a little bit of red wine in there. Can you get some? Because I don't want my pastor to see me coming out with a brown paper packet. Didn't I just get gifts in a brown paper packet? Oh, how things have changed. There was such anxiety about that, that the saints would say amongst themselves, well, you know, the alcohol, the alcohol cooks out, man. It cooks out, you know. We used to send each other notes, don't worry, at 60 degrees, the alcohol's gone, all you've got is, and then the pastors would get up and they would preach, but then just use grape juice if all you want is the juice of the grape and the alcohol is gone. And then we would say, yeah, but yeah. And here's the funny thing, there is absolutely nothing in the Bible about lipstick or banishing alcohol from everything. It wasn't in the Bible it was just herd instinct. Now you might think, what's the point of that conversation? I want to talk to you today about how the Bible says Jesus sets us free from unnecessary religious burdens so that we can live genuinely free, celebratory lives. 
And there is something to be said about this because I laugh at my history in the faith and I start to wonder how many things will the next generation smile that we did? I do sometimes wonder about that. I also grew up in a generation where wearing jeans on the stage was not acceptable. That was a type of, that was a type, are you agreeing with me? Do you remember those days? Especially, oh, you used to preach that, but then one day you got set free. Especially, sorry, Uncle Brian, I had to drop you there. You were my people then. And, and in fact, I remember attending a conference. I attended a conference called Kyora. Do you remember Kyora, Pastor Brian and Eleanor? All the saints gathered in the Mahalisburg. Yes, and we discussed these things. And I remembered one man getting up and saying, you cannot have a woman without a head covering. You have to wear like a lace, like a curtain. <laughs> we used to put curtains on the ladies. Hang on, you're smiling. Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to come after your own stuff in a minute. You have to wear a curtain. And then, and then uh, you know, the, 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 the ladies must wear lace and they must have long hair, and then, you know, they really shouldn't be preaching and teaching and saying anything, and I'll have a whole sermon on that one day if you want me to. And I remember one gentleman, I forget his name now, Pastor Brian, but he tried to help, but he, he made it worse. Because the debate was, can the woman say something? Can't the woman say something? And he got up and he said, if God can use a donkey, Those ladies got up. Are you putting us underneath? <laughs> and he's an older gentleman. He's trying to help. He thought he was helping. He just ruined it. And another preacher, I recall in those days, got up to preach about this issue. Can we let ladies on the stage, if they've got short hair, to come in and sing and play the piano because they have to have long hair. And there's a reason for that misunderstanding. But... but I'll teach on at some point, but he got up one day and he said, well, I, I've, I've watched her play and she doesn't use her hair when she <laughs> plays. I think she'll be fine. I think she'll be fine. Um, if, if you ever wondered uh, whether there is a group of people who could put themselves under a necessary burden, then I want to tell you that the church and Christians can put themselves under unnecessary burdens to the point that sometimes I feel sorry for people for having that kind of Christianity. That kind of Christianity, I'm sorry to say you would have been better off not being told it so that I don't have to untangle the nonsense to teach you God's sense in your life. Can, can I just give you a hint about the whole issue of the woman teaching in the church? Can I just, and then you can go home and research it. It's in Timothy. Timothy uh, is, is, is writing to the, the saints in Ephesus. It's a Greek town. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> the saints in Ephesus were under the burden of a cult in the town. That cult worshipped a certain woman. And they practiced the cult through sexual immorality, even in church. And and Paul is writing to them, now to the saints in Ephesus, as I start the chapter. He says, listen, we've got to fix the result of this cult infiltrating in our churches. So the verse before that, he says, let's start with getting men to come to church and lift up holy hands in prayer. They need to demonstrate their 
surrendered to God, come into the house of the Lord and practice their faith more. Then the next verse, I want the ladies to step back so that the men can step up because they're a bit spineless now because of this cult. And I want the women just to step back so that the men can step up. And I want them at home to support their husbands and say, love, babe, you're a champion in church today. The way you raised your hands like that, all five fingers in the air. <laughs> just like that, you're a champion. That was the, the concept was to solve a cult. Now we take it out of that context and we say everywhere we try to apply it. We could do a whole teaching about that. All the verses in the Bible that people misunderstand in that way, you just, I think it's important you read the whole chapter. And if possible, read the whole book because it'll contextualize it for you. Yet in other places of Scripture, it was abundantly clear. Paul, I beg your pardon, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, right at the end of the book. These are churches that were held in people's homes and the people who were holding those services in their homes were women but we didn't join the dots, so we got worked up. Why am I telling you this? Because I think we put unnecessary burdens on ourselves and Jesus has to come and say, come to me all of you who are tired and weary and heavy burdened and take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And do you know who he was saying that to? He was saying it to Pharisees. He said, Pharisees, you put burdens on God's people. Do you know the idea of burdens? If you study scripture, it's, all of it has to do with religious burden. All of it, eh? I'm going to take you through a bit of it now. It's religious burden. Look, life has burdens, eh? Can we just say amen to that? It's just life. We can't take that away. You know, all the joys of life come with a few burdens. Can we all have an amen? I had to be a fur kid parent yesterday. You remember that dog I told a story about with the bleeding tail? Yeah. Tail gone. Had to, very sorry, bleeding on everything and on everyone. I warned you, if your eye causes you to sin. <laughs> had to go. But now he's grumpy and moaning and he, he doesn't do operations well. Had to stand extra night. Thank you, Dr. Dean. Had to stand extra night in the surgery at South City and I got him out and he threw up in the car and he threw up on the way home and he threw up on the leather couch and he threw up. You know, it's just life. I can't rebuke it. I sure did try. <laughs> it's just life. But I'll tell you what's unnecessary burden is if you add on top of life's burdens, unreasonable religious burdens that are not biblical and they are not sound. And then here's what Jesus really confronts um, the Pharisees about and you don't help carry them. He said, you are a brood of vipers. You put burdens on people and you don't lift a finger to help carry them. He said, you are poison. You are poison. I want to talk to you about that. I never want for our faith to be an unnecessary burden when Christ has come to set us free. Luke chapter 11 words it like this. One of the experts of the law answered and said to him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us. He was describing this problem of them putting burdens on people. Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you. Now listen, when Jesus says woe, that's like, that's, that's serious. 
He uses it nine times in this chapter. Go look it up. Woe to you because you lay, you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift a finger, one finger to help them. I want to talk to you about unnecessary religious burdens that hold you captive from the joy of spiritual freedom. I've had to untangle some of my own, by the way, and some as recent as this year. I'm sure I'm going to untangle a few next year. I used to have people around for meals at my home coming from our past, Pastor Bright. Then the friends would say, can I bring a beer with you, know, to drink at the bride? And my spiritual history would manifest. I'm like, I don't know, can I, can't you? I don't know what's going to happen. Will the Holy Spirit leave me? Will the... Demons, join me. Well, uh, what will happen? I don't know what will happen. God plays drums in the church. Loveliest God just wants to bring a beer. Have a little beer. Have a little something at the thing. I know some of your religious spirits are already manifesting. I can see. I can see that. It's okay. Let, let me just tell you, I'm going to copy a, a well-known motivation speaker. My name is George. I'm just here to help. Don't be angry with me. I, I like you. I'm your friend. I'm just here to help. I said to me, oh man, bring one. And bring one for me too. It's been there three years now in my fridge. I can't touch it. Every time I open the fridge, I'm like, ah, the light is leaving. (laughs) But there are other religious burdens. Just because somebody in my early ministry whispered in my ear that I couldn't be a pastor and be single, I carried that on my shoulders. And it still bothered me and still bothered me and still bothers me. And every now and then I have to wake up and go, wait a minute, is that a burden placed on me by the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is that a religious burden that has been placed by herd instinct on what we can and cannot do? Is that just red lipstick nonsense that I need to expel so that I can do what God's called me to do because I can't fly? burdened. Can't fly burdened. And sometimes we put people off from the faith because we keep moving the goalpost of what burdens they should carry. I remember uh, attending a seminar on prayer and the person who ran the seminar is a saint. I'm convinced that for fun, he fills the bath and walks on water just to practice. I mean, he's a proper saint. Some of you may know him. He ran an organisation called Walk Through the Bible. Excellent organisation. But when it came to his prayer seminar, he just was a bookworm. He liked reading by himself and praying. So he developed a pray for one hour wheel. It was a physical wheel. And it was divided up into five-minute sections. Five minutes of thanksgiving, five minutes of edification, five to do an hour. I'm going to make a confession to you. I couldn't do an hour. And I carried such a burden. I started saying to myself, I'm a terrible saint. I'm an awful pastor. Then he used to use those verses, can you not even pray for one hour? I'm like, yeah. He's right. Okay, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, those are intense times. He wasn't casually sitting at home with his non-alcoholic what-what and saying, let us pray for an hour. He was facing the cross. What a burden to be unwise about. My prayer life is interspersed with my ordinary conversation. I can't do one hour on the trot 
on a system where I must think of things to do for thanksgiving, exhortation, and then confession, and then requests, and then petitions. I mean, I, I needed a dictionary to work out the difference between petition and request. That's too intense and very unnecessary. Even big names in the Bible like Peter had this problem. An Italian guy called Cornelius was coming to ask him to come to his house and preach about Jesus. But Peter was uncomfortable with the Gentiles. So while Cornelius, it's found in Acts chapter 10, is praying, so is Peter. Two people praying who are uncomfortable with each other but love God. And while he prays, he's hungry and falls into a trance, asleep, the Bible says. And a sheet comes down, a little white sheet, and on there different animals that he, in his history, not allowed to eat. Just sort of three-legged things and all kinds of, all kinds of stuff that's now very popular uh, on there. And he hears a voice saying, arise, kill, eat. And he says, no way. I've never eaten shellfish ever in my life. That's a cockroach of the ocean that I'm not going to eat that. And God says, don't call something unrighteous, which I have said have made righteous. You get up, rise up, kill and eat. You know, some people are still hungry because they won't rise up, they won't kill and they won't eat the thing that is in front of them. They're waiting for something else and you're still hungry. And as he finishes the prayer, an ambassador from Cornelius' house comes and says, uh, sorry, uh, God sent us, you must come and preach. And at that moment, Peter realized, oh, that's what that was about. I can expand my territory if I don't get limited by my religious false burdens. My world could get bigger. My influence could get stronger. My capacity could increase if I wasn't held down by religious burdens. Some years ago, I know this man is watching online. There's no chance I'm going to finish on time today. I know he's watching online. I will, I, will, I will respect your time. I'll finish and then you can come back two weeks' time. Next week also. Yeah, next week for Mark. Uh, for the Lord. Oh, I'm just, can I start again? Um, some years ago, this man's watching online, I know, uh, a friend of mine, came from no wealth. And he just honoured the Lord, honoured the Lord in his business, honoured the Lord, became wealthy. And one day he sat me down and he said, George, I'm, I love cars and I want to buy a fancy one. But I feel guilty, am I allowed to? I said to him, it depends what you think is a fancy car. <laughs> I won't tell you what he bought. It was fancy. Comes to church in an R8 now, so still fancy, I think. Hey? An R8. Do you know what I said to him? Have you honored the Lord with all your first fruits? He said, yes. I said, the Lord says the rest is yours. You want to buy the fanciest car, they're going to fly you over to Germany to show you what it is. Off you go. Go have a look. Why not? He said, I just, I grew up in a history where poverty was spiritual and wealth was, was wicked. That is an unnecessary religious burden that has been placed on your shoulders and you need to shake it off. I'm not going to pretend that being wealthy makes you more spiritual. 
I'm not gonna pretend that. And I don't think being poor makes you more spiritual. I think God has a plan for him to reveal himself to you in every stage and season of your life. So that like Paul, you can say, whether I have much or I have little, I have learned to be content in the Lord. But what you can't do is reject God's blessings on your life because you've got some kind of burden on you that you're gonna pretend you're broken so that God will love you. I mean, that's very, very unhealthy. And you know, it's not only in places like this, even in the Old Testament, when Moses was taking the children of Israel out of the promised land, out of uh, uh, the, uh, Egypt into the promised land, he got to a certain point in Numbers, uh, verse 11, chapter 11, where he said, Lord, these people are too many and this burden is too great. And his father-in-law, Jethro, has to say to him, your strategy is wrong. If it feels too hard, your strategy is wrong. I still want to bless you, but you're not doing it the right way. Why don't you appoint leaders of fifties, hundreds, thousands, and put them over the people? Why don't you trust some people in your life to help you carry the burden? I'm talking to business owners. You think you can't open another branch, but if you learn to trust some people, the right people, and pull them into your life, you could multiply your company across the world, and it would be easier than when you had one. Oh, that's landing hard, eh? You're not ready to receive it. Because you might be thinking, but this is hard, more will be harder. No, trust the Lord and more becomes a blessing rather than too hard. Moses was on, on a road to burnout and God said, your strategy is wrong. You need some people in your life. I'm not taking the blessing away, I'm just giving you a better strategy. Can you say Amen. I said to our team when I got back from Cyprus a year or two ago, I said, guys, I, I feel itchy to do more things. And I don't know how to do that while I'm doing what I'm doing here. I wonder if I've got to change something. And I spent some time praying. And they spent some time praying. And you know what the answer God gave me was? Absolutely. Trust the men and women we've already got to do more so that you can untangle yourself and do some new things. Raise people rather than leave people. Raise people. Rather. Moses had that same challenge. And finally, because I do need to give you three practical points at least, maybe four even. Gideon is my punchline example. Gideon is... Uh, part of a generation who are um, downtrodden, burdened. Uh, Gideon is attacked by a group of people called the Midianites. And maybe you've got some Midianites in your life. So they're burdened by them. They did some things wrong. That's what the Bible says. They didn't, didn't listen to the Lord and it caused problems for them. But now he's trying to get some food for his family. But every time they get good good food, they prosper, the Midianites come and steal it. They say, thanks very much for preparing. It's like the sort of biblical version of the sort of walking dead. So every time they make good food, they come, they steal it. So what does, what does Gideon do? He goes and hides and he, in a wine press and he, he prepares the food so no one will see and he can hopefully look after his family. An angel of the Lord comes and appears to him. And do you know what the angel starts with? Hello, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Gideon's like, whoa, what? Who? Do you know the church's role is the role of the angel? You go to come to church and we go to say to you, God is mighty. 
and you can be mighty in the Lord. And you might say, you know, I've, I've stuffed up. I, I disobeyed. Well, so did Gideon and his whole people. But the angel of the Lord is here to say, what lies before you is a great victory and not to take the burdens of your defeat with you into your victory. We have to stop burdening people with unnecessary religious burdens and teach people instead how to find the Lord and be spiritually free. There is tremendous power in that. Gideon is conflicted. So the Lord has to continue to remind him, you are strong and courageous. You are a mighty man. And he goes through all his insecurities. We all know them. That include insecurities like I'm the smallest in my family and the smallest in my tribe and the smallest and the smallest. And nothing works out well for us. We are so under so much burden. And God says, you know what, Gideon? It doesn't have to stay like that. God is not here to punish you forever. God is here to set you free and move you forward. God gives Gideon three or four um, foundations on which to build a life free from unnecessary burdens. I wanna share them with you. First of all, Choose good company. Choose good company. Do you know, um, there are three levels in my opinion, in my view of company. The company that lies to you to make you feel good. The company that tells you the truth but can't see any good in you. And the company who sees the truth but sees the good in you. Don't just have people, you know, when people say to me, you know, I just want to tell you, the, I just want to tell the truth, eh? I'm honest, I'll just tell the truth. It's a very useless um, uh, life journey. Uh, because truth by itself, unless it is the Lord's truth, doesn't set me free, it just hurts me. I want to tell you the truth, but I also want to tell you that God is here to pull out the very best of you. Yes, you're broken, that may be true but Jesus is your healer. That's spiritual truth. Yes, you're insecure. That may be your truth, but I want you to know God has chosen you and not overlooked you and sees you. That's spiritual truth. The one doesn't deny the other, it heals it. Can you say amen? I learned a valuable lesson listening to leadership stuff. How you see people is how you treat people. If I see you as broken, I'll try and fix you. If I see you as vulnerable, I'll try and help you. But if I see you as valuable, I'm happy to serve you. And there's a transformation, a change that happens when we go through that. Pick good company. Galatians 6 reminds us to carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Secondly, God reminded Gideon of, the, of some of the victories he himself has seen. You need a good memory. We need a godly memory, actually. We need good company, but we need a godly memory. I have a okay memory. I have a good memory in all my failures. I have a poor memory in all the wins that God has given me. I have to remind myself 
or as the psalmist said, encourage myself in the Lord of all the good things that God has done. Jesus is calling somebody in the second row there. Um, so <laughs> it had to happen to you at some stage, BT. It had to happen to you. He's there first. Um, we need good company. We need a godly memory. I have to remind myself, has the Lord not been faithful? Has he not already made a way for me where there seemed to be no way? Thirdly, you need an inspired strategy. Don't do it the same way all the time. The way you run life, business, friendship, church, need a strategy for every season. Ask for godly counsel, let people in. Don't carry it on your own. The thing you think is impossible, somebody might just convince you God's got it. I wanna tell you, this post-pandemic church world, it'll be okay. God's got us. Something significant is brewing. He is working now. Our God will make a way. Is that a clappable moment? Finally, we need bravery. Sometimes we just have to keep going in the face of negativity and opposition and be brave and trust the Lord. I close with a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 20. Paul is on his way to speak to King Agrippa. And in every church service he pops in to preach on his way there, a prophet comes to him and says, when you get there, they're going to tie you up. They're going to beat you up. You're going to be in trouble. And do you know what the Bible says? Paul said, I know it's, I love the, I love the message translation. It says, my journey is going to be no picnic. <laughs> it's going to be no picnic, he said. But I am bound by the Spirit on this road. And whatever awaits me there, God will work it out. Do you know, a lot of us uh, today are carrying unnecessary religious burdens and it takes up too much time and we're not able to be truly free. As we close this morning's conversation, tonight I want to talk about chains, the types of chains that tie our hearts. But as we close this morning's conversation, I want to pray that um, the scripture in Matthew will be true for you. Come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy. My burden, it's light. And, and God will make a way for us. Would you please stand with me as we pray? We have a team of people coming to the front here in this church, but also available at all our churches after the service to pray for you. We, we want you to feel like the service never really ends. It just changes from a formal part to an informal part, to fellowship and friendship and prayer and communion. By the way, I, I would be amiss if I didn't mention this. I don't have a date yet from my pastors here. Second, second Sunday? Second Sunday? Are you happy with that? Yeah. 
uh, on the second Sunday of every month in North End. Online, please stay with me on this just for a moment. It's important. Uh, on the second Sunday of every month in the chapel before church from 8.30 to 8.45, we're going to host a communion service. For those of you who would like to take communion intentionally, call on the elders of the church to pray for the sick and lay hands on you. And to take a moment to reflect on the scripture of Christ's supper, the, the communion table. And then you've got 15 minutes to hang out with friends, grab a cup of coffee and come into church at nine. And so we're going to host it with our pastors present to pray for you and just create a quiet place uh, to reflect and share communion together. We'd invite you, if you're in a season in your life where you could use that, come along and do that. We're going to build what communion looks like and finding the right way of doing that in, in an environment like this is a step in that direction. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you came to set the captives free. We refuse to take on the burdens that Pharisees and hypocrites want us to carry. We shake them loose in the name of Jesus and pray that our minds will never be occupied by the will of man, but will be occupied by the will of God. We pray, Father, that our hands, our hearts and our heads will be fully devoted to You so that no one else will take up residency there. We pray, Lord, that You'll teach us to live free and not be bound again in a yoke of slavery. As Galatians reminds us, not to be tricked by the enemy, bewitched by some strategy, but to be truly free to live joyfully. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, would you give God a shout of praise and worship and thanks to you?